and we want to invite you to read along. Uh, if, if you want to get out a pew Bible and find the scripture, or if you uh, brought your own Bible or Bible app, we will be referencing the scripture uh, throughout the message, but like I said, it will be projected behind me. So again, that's James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but, it, it, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, uh, today's message is called Wisdom from Above. And we are continuing our series, Living Faith. Uh, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you about uh, sort of an issue that's kind of a, kind of come up in my life. That um, you know, the truth is sometimes hard to see about yourself. And this is one of the wonderful things that um, you know. The like we said, there there was a a, a couple that got married uh, here at church yesterday. And uh, they will learn this very soon. And for those of you who are married, uh, you probably learned this, that a lot of truth comes from your spouse. You're going to learn a lot of things about yourself. And sometimes that's part of the reason why we argue or get defensive, because we don't like hearing the truth about ourselves. And one of the things that I've learned through my wonderful wife, Erin, is that I really don't like to admit when I don't know something. And so there are many times where, I don't know, I don't know what it was. I really didn't know that I did this, but she would ask me a question and like, it would just be like a really simple thing, you know? And, and sometimes she'd like ask me about someone at church, like, oh, hey, so, so what does that person do? Like, oh, they're in school. Like, what's their major? And I, I don't know why this is, but if I didn't know, I would just make something up. I would just be like, oh, I think biology. And, and so, like, at first she'd be like, oh, okay. But then she realized very soon that oftentimes I had no idea. Like, what's, I don't know where I was getting this from. I would just, like, pull it out. And so then my wife would just kind of, like, call me out on that and be like, hey, if you don't know, just say you don't know. Right? And, and, and then I'd be like, but, no, no, I think I know. 75% sure it's biology. And then it turns out it's engineering. It's like nothing even closely, remotely there. I just pulled that out of nowhere. And... I, I don't know what it is, friends. Maybe you're that way. But, uh, uh, you know, th- this is a very popular... I-, I saw this online, and I thought it was funny. Uh, unless your name is Google, stop acting like you know everything. You know, and mm, I need to hear that, right? Uh, why is it that we want to feel like we know everything? Why is it so hard to admit what you don't know? And I think even in the church, this is true. I've talked about this before, and so forgive me if you've heard this, but I want to put a little bit of a fresh spin on it. Uh, but I was teaching a confirmation class years ago when I was a youth pastor. When I first started being a youth pastor, I was in seminary, I was learning about the Bible, and uh, I, the, the confirmation class was a bunch of eighth graders, so mostly 13-year-olds. And so there's a class about, like, like I, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood, like 10 to 15, 13-year-olds, 
and I asked them, how well do you know the Bible on a scale of 1 to 10? So I said, one would be, you just first learned that there was such a thing as a Bible, right? Like, you know absolutely nothing. And 10 is you are God, right? You know everything, right? Like, you got it all memorized, right? Like, 10 is just Jesus Christ. And so I asked them, and so without skipping a beat, all these 13-year-olds, like, confidently look me in the eye, and they're like, eight, right? Most of them were sevens or eights, and one was like, mm, 7.5. I was like, wow, man, you should be teaching this class. Like, man, at the time, this is what I told them. I was like, I think I'm like a five or six, you know? So I've come to find out. You know, so that was like maybe a good, oh, I don't know, 17 years ago. Looking back on that, I wasn't a five or six. I was maybe a, a three. <laughs> I really didn't know as much as I thought I did. But I did, and I judged those 13-year-olds all over the place. I was like, oh, look at these 13-year-olds. They think they know the whole Bible. And I was like, well, I'm the pastor. I'm a six, you know? Man, and so, so, you know, why did I pick a six? Because I was like, well, I don't want them to think that I don't know what I'm doing, right? So if I say five, that's like, it could go either way. It's like class half empty, you know, class half full. Then people would be like, well, why should we listen to this guy? He doesn't know anything about the Bible. So I'm like, hmm, I know a little bit more than not knowing. So I'm a six, right? But I can still kind of be humble, you know? Brothers and sisters, I wasn't a six, but I wanted to believe that about myself. We naturally want to believe that we know more than we do. A couple weeks ago, and all of this fits together, by the way, because we're going through uh, the, the letter of James in its entirety. So some of this stuff should fit together. But we talked a lot about the desire to be right and how much we don't like being wrong. And I think that the same principle goes with wanting to feel like you are competent, you are intelligent, you are wise, you know what you're talking about. Brothers and sisters, have you ever been talking to someone about something that you had no idea what you were talking about, but you just kept going? You know, maybe the way they were talking to you, they kind of assumed like, oh, well, you know that thing, right? You know that thing we were talking about? And for whatever reason, in that moment, you could have easily been like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But you just went, now you're stuck. Now you have to act like you know what you're talking about. You know, maybe if some of you were wise being caught in your lie, you'd be like, I got to go to the bathroom. You go Google it real quick. This is just a little pro tip if you ever get caught in that situation. But why can't we just say, I don't know. I have no clue. I've been in situations where, um, like, like a good friend, like we're talking, and at some point in the conversation, they'll be like, you know, they're, they're like in mid sentence, they're like, you know what? I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I seriously don't know. I don't know why I pretended like I do, but we all do it, don't we? We want people to know <laughs> that we're smart and competent. So, friends, what we are talking about today is wisdom. And uh, uh, I'm going to kind of call out uh, the intern for a second because it's my last chance to do it. Uh, uh, so uh, the intern, his email is wisekev at gmail.com. So this morning we were driving to church and I was like, you know, Kevin, you know, I'm preaching about wisdom today. 
Why did you pick the email name Wise Kev? That's so great. You know, and he, he was like, you know, he, he just kind of thought about it for a moment and he just started laughing. He's like, Pastor Steve, I picked that when I was in the third grade. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know why I picked it. And I was like, you know what? That's so much better than what most people pick, you know, in the third grade. It's not like ASEAN QT, you know, or like whatever, some really embarrassing thing that you don't want people to. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, wise cat. That's good. We need wisdom. We need to be wise people. But many of us are not. Why is wisdom so important? Why are we even talking about wisdom? Well, friends, to get us to understand why it's so important, I want to talk about this book that I read once. It's called The Best Question Ever. That's a pretty bold title, don't you think? Like the best question you can ever ask. And it's written by a pastor, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor of the second largest church in America, or at least last count. Uh, and um, it, this pastor is not lacking in confidence. So he very boldly proclaims, like, I'm going to teach you what the best question ever is. And so friends, to save you, you know, roughly $15.99 plus tax, let me tell you right now what the best question ever is, according to the pastor of the second largest church in America. He says the best question is, is this the wise thing to do? I'm looking at your faces. No one's blown away. No one's like, you're right. (laughs) You know, some of you look kind of underwhelmed. Friends, let's think about this for a moment. Is that the best question you can ever ask? Is this the wise thing to do when you are trying to make a decision, as all of us do? Right? You're caught at a crossroads. What do I do? What school do I go to? Who do I date? Who do I marry? What should I eat for dinner? The, you know, the, the, the big questions of life that we have. What is the wise thing to do? Now, friends, you ever be stuck, have you ever been stuck in that situation where you want to know what you should do? And so what do a lot of us do? We call a friend, right? Like, hey, you know what? I I just need some advice. Can we talk? And then you tell them, you know, your dilemma and these different options. And brothers and sisters, I need you to be really honest. For this sermon to have any impact on your life, I need you to be really honest. I'm not going to ask you to reveal your answer. But I want you to think about, you're in that situation. Who is your best friend? Who are you calling up? Imagine you're at Starbucks, okay? You guys are at Starbucks. You got your cool latte. You got your cappuccino. You got your purple dragon fruit drink that's really cool. If any of you have that. You're sitting there. You're talking to your friend. And you ask them this question. What should I do? Brothers and sisters, I have a question for you. And again... We're not getting anywhere if you can't answer this honestly. Your friend is about to speak. They take that breath. They're thinking about it. They're like, hmm, that's a good one. And then they're like, something's about to come out of their mouth. I need you to be honest. Do you really want them to say the wise thing? Do you really want to hear the wise thing? For most of us, if we're being really honest, we do not. That is not why you called your friends. The reason why you called your friends is you want them to confirm what you already want to hear. Right? 
You are not looking for wisdom. You are looking for permission. I don't see a lot of heads nodding. (laughs) Maybe some of you are like, no, Pastor Steve, I'm looking for wisdom. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, let's be honest. Do do you ever have a friend? They're a good friend. So they're like, you know what, Steve, I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear, but this is the wise thing. You should do this. Right. I remember once when I was uh, ninth grade that there was this girl that I liked, right? And she liked me too. And I was like, oh, hey, good to go, right? But the thing was, the thing was, apparently her friend liked me too. And I was like, oh, what do I do? Oh, <laughs> oh you know, like, so hot. Oh, man, girls, stay away. Only time this has ever happened in my life, by the way. Never would happen again, okay? Uh, I peaked in the ninth grade. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I was short, and everyone's short back then. So, yeah, peaked in the ninth grade. So, uh, you know, I remember I consulted my youth leader. Because she was, you know, she was kind of debating, hey, should we, you know, date or something? But my good friend also likes this guy, right? And so she's like, oh, I don't want to hurt my friend. Maybe we should wait, right? And so I did, for the first time in my life, I asked someone older than me, like an authority type person, like a youth pastor, you know, what should I do? And I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. All the girls like me, you know? <laughs> and I asked him, like, what should I do? And I was like, you know, she thinks, like, we probably shouldn't date. And and, and I remember he, he went like this, and he was like, Steve, I think that would be wise. That's what he said. That would be wise. And you know what I did? Ninth grade, Steve, I made a decision that day. A very important decision that would forever shape my life. I decided from that day forward, I would never, ever ask a pastor for relationship advice. (laughs) Why? Because he told me what I didn't want to hear. But he told me the wise thing. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to kind of call out LGM for a second. I will tell you, I can count on one hand how many times people in this congregation have asked me for relationship advice. <laughs> people have, but I gotta tell you, I, no, 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 this is not a way to, the, like after this, everyone's like, well, Pastor Steve, I need to ask you. <laughs> Unless the Holy Spirit's convicting you, then, then by all means. But you don't want to hear the wise thing. You want someone to confirm what you already want. You want permission, not wisdom. And brothers and sisters, this is the very important question. What is the wise thing to do? But I think it's even more fundamental than that. we got to go another step. Do you even want wisdom? That is the question. And so let's take a look. Uh, let's jump right in here to James uh, chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Are you wise in understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so this is the thing, brothers and sisters. James is asking, Who is wise in understanding? Right? And that may seem like a rhetorical question. And in this day and age, this is part of the reason why we don't really ask for wisdom. Because we make a bad assumption. We assume we already have wisdom. So we read this and we're like, well, I am. (laughs) I'm wise. I have knowledge. I know what I'm doing. 
But this is the thing. For James, this is not a rhetorical question. He says, I'll tell you how you can tell who has wisdom. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show his works. That's what we've been talking about in James. Proof is in the pudding. Proof is in the fruit. You can't just fake it. You can't just talk a good talk. It's going to come out in you. And that's what James reminds us of. Again, it's the theme of the entire letter. A living faith. A faith that actually comes out. And so we act like we're wise. We sound like we're wise. We say that we're wise. But proof is in the pudding. Are your actions actually wise? Are they really coming out? Or when you look back on the decisions you made, you're like, man, that was so stupid. Why did I do that? Man, why did I do that? But we still assume, oh, anytime I want, I can make the wise decision. But if we keep making mistake after mistake, foolish decision after foolish decision, are we really that wise? Do we really have the wisdom that we assume that we do? And it says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Friends, where we're going in James, and this will be even more next chapter, is we are going to be really examining the heart. Because this is the thing. You can make a decision out of wisdom, or you can make a decision that most of us do. 90% of the time, and I might be being generous here, most of the time we are not making decisions on wisdom, we are making decisions on what we want when we want it. Right? That's how most people make decisions in this world. Right? Let's make no mistake. And part of that is the bitter jealousy we have, the selfish ambition in your hearts, right? That we make decisions out of that. You ever buy something because someone else has that thing? You know? Maybe you've even bought it when you couldn't really afford it, but you're like, but they have it. I should be able to have it, right? Brothers and sisters, I know we don't like to think of ourselves in this way, but many times we are not making decisions out of wisdom. There is something else driving us. There is that selfishness. There is that jealousy. And so James says, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not say you're wise. You know, this is one of these principles in life. It's a good uh, rule in life. That, that uh, Sometimes you hear this talked about with nice guys, right? If a guy has to say they're nice, they're probably not that nice, right? If someone has to say they're so smart, they're probably not that smart, right? Why? Why do you have to say that? Because people who are smart, people who are nice already know that. Well, hopefully, you know, a humble person, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to boast about being humble, right? Because just fundamentally, then you're not humble, right? But it will just come out in you. The proof will be in the pudding. The proof will be in your actual actions, right? So do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder order, and every vile practice. So brothers and sisters, there is a wisdom that we assume we already have. We assume it already exists in this world. 
And so people don't ask for wisdom because they assume they're already wise because we want to think of ourselves as wise, right? And so we get this problem that we are living out of this, and if all of us are making decisions based on our desires, our ambitions, what kind of world are we going to have? Now, brothers and sisters, this is our way of just kind of looking at the macro problem, okay? Right? Because if we all are already wise, what do you think kind of world we would have? That's what Andy Stanley is getting at. That's why he thinks it's the most important question you can ask. Because if we were able to really answer that and then act accordingly, what is the wise thing to do? What kind of world do you think we would have if we really understood wisdom and was able to act on it? That maybe in a moment where we would do something selfish that is just going to serve you in this short term and really doesn't benefit anyone but you. But, you know, instead of doing that, you think, oh, but what about the people around me? What is the wise thing to do to build the kingdom of God? And you make every decision based on that. Brothers and sisters, we would have the kingdom of God. But the truth is that we don't. We have a world where maybe nowhere in history, I believe this is true, that have you had as much income disparity as we have now? Meaning that the richest have never been richer, and the poor, the the divide, the average divide between the richest amongst us and the poorest has never been greater. There's never been so many people who have been so divided. What is going on, brothers and sisters? This is what naturally happens. When we just live out of our own desires, we as the people of God must do something different. So verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, what you see here is the wisdom from above does come from God. It is of spiritual origin. It is not of natural origin. It is not of this world, but make no mistake, the wisdom from above is meant for this world. The wisdom that comes from God isn't just so you get some cool information about God and you're like, oh, that's cool. Now I know. I feel so smart. The purpose of all of that is for you to be able to live out your faith, right? Being peaceable, gentle, open to reason. If you are not open to reason, it seems to follow that at least in a godly sense, you're not all that wise. A lot of us, we think we're wise, but we're so closed to reason, We think we're wise, but our our, our wisdom, our apparent wisdom, makes us proud. Makes us treat other people as inferiors. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. That doesn't sound like someone who's puffed up and arrogant. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, if you've heard me preach on righteousness, um, I often call it rightness. Because righteousness, we think of self-righteousness and we think of like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. We think of someone who just thinks they're better than everyone. That's not biblical righteousness. Biblical righteousness is rightness. Being the way you're supposed to be. 
being loving, being patient, being kind, being all the things that Jesus was, right? All of these things come from the wisdom from above, meaning it comes from God, meaning you cannot do it on your own. This message is not just be more wise, because you cannot. Trying to be wise on your own, you're only going to get the wisdom from down here, right? And we're going to do things the way everyone else does it, out of that same heart and spirit and ambition and selfishness, and you're going to get the same results. You're going to get the same broken world. We need the wisdom from above, right? But this is the thing, brothers and sisters. The first step of wisdom is realizing you don't have it. What do we do if we don't have it? Well, we ask, right? So I'm reminded of, um, so let's take a look here at uh, uh, James 1.5. So we, we covered this a few weeks back. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Right. So part one of that is to admit that you don't have it, and to, then to actually ask for it. This reminds me of uh, an Old Testament story with Solomon. You guys remember Solomon? He's David's son. He's king of Israel. And he gets this wonderful opportunity that God tells him, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? What would you ask for if God said, I'll give you anything you want? Some of us were like, win the Powerball lottery. (laughs) You know, I can do a lot of good with that. Most of us, we would ask for things like that, but not Solomon, right? So at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon asked, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, you didn't ask to win the Powerball lottery. You didn't ask to live to 150. Or, or you, know, you didn't ask to smite your enemies. But have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall rise after you. Why did Solomon ask this? Because Solomon realized that the most important thing for him as a king was to be able to rule his people well. And he also realized that he didn't naturally have the wisdom to do it, right? When you ask to win the Powerball lottery, what are you assuming? You're assuming that you have the wisdom to be able to spend that money wisely, right? So Solomon could have assumed and been like, oh, God, just give me lots of money so that I can use it to bless my people. I can use it to build up Israel in the best way. But he's like, no, no, no. Before that, What is all the money in the world if I'm not wise enough to spend it, right? I need wisdom first. And of course, his desire was for the kingdom. It was not just for him. And so God was honored in that, and he granted his his desire. So friends, where we go with all of this? The the important thing to remember is (laughs) maybe we're not as wise as we think we are. Um. There's a story that I heard once about uh, Socrates. And um, uh, so Socrates, very wise, you know, 
Greek dude, philosopher, right? And the story goes like this, that there was a, a, a young pupil, a would-be disciple, who wanted to learn from the great and wise Socrates. So he goes to Socrates and he says, Socrates, oh great teacher, help teach me wisdom. And so Socrates looks at the young man, he's like, okay, follow me. He's like, oh, that easy? Okay, cool. So he follows him, and they go to a beach. And, um, and then he looks at the young man, he says, what do you want? He's like, oh, great Socrates, oh, great wise teacher, I want wisdom. He's like, okay, follow me into the water. So they go into the water, and they're about yay deep. And then he looks at the young man again, he says, okay, what do you want? And he's like, oh, great Socrates, I want wisdom. And before he can finish, Socrates takes the man and pushes him down with both hands under the water and holds him down there for about 20 seconds. And the young man is like, and then he lets him up after 20 seconds. He's He's like, what do you want? And he's like, oh, great Socrates, oh, wise teacher, I want, and he pushes him down again, holds him down for about 40 seconds, right, which is a really, really long time, and eventually lets him back up, and he's like, what do you want? He's like, oh, great Socrates, I want, and he does it again, right? And then he lets him back up, and this young man is just panting for water, just spewing water, just, (laughs) he's like, what do you want? And the young man says, I want air, I want air. And he said, when you want wisdom, like you want that air, then you will find it. It's a great story, isn't it? (laughs) How the heck do you apply that? How the heck do you apply that? Just want it really bad, right? You know, this is the thing. The lesson is, this young man thought he wanted it. It's intellectual to him. He wasn't desperate for it. He didn't really want it. And Socrates is known for this very famous quote that we do not even know if he directly said. But we have this from Plato. And so Plato, uh, quoting his, his teacher Socrates, um, that he said, I know one thing that I know nothing. I know one thing that I know nothing. That is the beginning of wisdom, brothers and sisters. Right? Knowing what you don't know. Right? For me, when I was in seminary, um, it, all these like like older pastors would give me advice, and even after seminary, you know, they'd be like, "Oh, Pastor Steve, you know, I've, I've been in the game for a while," and I would ask them, "I'm like, oh, you've been in the game for a while. What do I need to know? What, what, what advice would you give me?" And so many pastors would give me the same advice. They'd say something like this: "Never stop learning. I never stop learning. So you got to read, right?" And I'll tell you, this, this is what would happen when they would tell me that. I'd just be like. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Be like, that's cute. That's good for you. Right? I'm sick of reading. I hate reading. I have to read so much. I wouldn't listen to them. I got to tell you, my favorite thing to do when I was a young pastor is go to the bookstore and buy books. It made me feel smart. And I lined my bookshelf with lots of cool books. And those books, you go to my library, and they are in pristine condition. It's like going to a bookstore, like going to Barnes & Noble, because no one has ever opened them, right? I just like having the books, right? Feeling smart. I wouldn't listen to those guys. And it wasn't until years later that I was broken on the wheels of ministry. That might like, oh, I'm about a six in my biblical knowledge. Oh, I know so much. Man, I got broken. And I got to the point where I'm like, I know nothing. I know nothing. In the last few years, brothers and sisters, this is nothing that I'm bragging about. 
because I had to learn this the hard way, to learn how little I really knew. A few years ago, um, I got to the point where I was so burnt out of ministry. That I got to the point where I was like, God, you got to do something in my heart or I, I'm going to burn out. I, I think I have maybe a year left. And I remember going to uh, the lake. Just uh, I, I know something about wisdom and lakes and <laughs> rivers and stuff. But I went to Lake Huron and I was looking out in the water and I, I just remembered this quote because I could look out in the Lake Huron and see how deep it was at a certain point. It was so deep that the water looked almost black. And I remember this quote from Richard Foster saying, we don't need more knowledgeable people. The world doesn't need more knowledgeable people. we got plenty of those. The world needs deep people. And I was like, I'm not deep. I'm not deep. And th- that was a turning point for me. It's like, man, I do not know as much as I think I do. And those things that I know that are just up here do no good. They haven't traveled down to my heart. And something changed in me where I became really ravenous to know, how do I really know the things of God and know that in a deep spiritual way? I was reading all kinds of things on spiritual formation. I've read more in the last three years than I've ever read in my life. And that it did not come out of the thought that I'm so wise. That came out of the thought that I know one thing, I know nothing. Brothers and sisters, he even says it in Proverbs, right? If you want the, 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 the sort of biblical source. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who repro- reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Because a wise man understands that he doesn't know as much as he thinks he does, right? Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Why? Because the wise person knows they have more to learn. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What does that mean, the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the respect for God, realizing that God is so big and so great, and I am not. I'm not naturally God. I'm not naturally smart. I'm not naturally wise. I'm not naturally good. I don't know these things. And if I recognize that, the greatness and vastness of God, who for some reason wants to share his life with us, wants to share his wisdom with us, wants to direct how we live this life, and we're like, "Mm, I'm good, I'm just going to ask my friend, ask my buddy, and he's going to tell me what I want to hear, right? That we don't even know what we don't know. We're not humble enough to recognize that. God, you are so great, and I am so small, and yet you want to give me all things. Praise God. Brothers and sisters, that knowledge should not make us proud. It should make us incredibly humble and thankful. I mean, it is, in essence, the gospel, right? You cannot save yourself. You cannot get life for yourself. It can only be received as a gift through what God has given you. Brothers and sisters, he who did not spare his son for you, would he not give you all things? Would he not give you all things? Brothers and sisters, when is the last time you actually prayed for wisdom? You asked for wisdom. When you're making a decision to really say, God, not 
what should I do? Because that's pretty ambiguous, right? We can construe that however we want. But to say, God, what is it that you truly will in your wisdom? What is the wise thing to do? So I just want to end with this, friends. So this question that we've been asking, what is the wise thing to do? So <laughs> this is kind of like, you know, choose your own adventure. Well, not really choose your own adventure, but do appropriately the next step. So if you know the wise thing to do, try to do it. You may not be able to, right? You may not be strong enough. You might not know how to do the wise thing, or you may not actually want to do it, right? And so you don't do it. So if that is true of you, if you don't know what the wise thing is, if you don't know how to do the wise thing, and if you don't know, uh, if you know that you don't want to do it, admit that. Admit that, friends. Right? Come before God, not with hands full, but with hands empty. It's only with hands empty that you can receive from God. Right? Amen? Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray, and we're going to go into communion. Well, God, I have friends here. Friends I know intimate things about them. Friends I do not. But I know each and every one of us will have to make some kind of decision this week, maybe even today. Some of those decisions, we just kind of gloss over. We just blow through them. We just assume we already have the wisdom to answer. God, can you give us humility to be able to admit what we do not know? The humility to be able to ask you, God, for wisdom, to do the things in the way that you would actually do them, in the way that your son would live our lives if he were us. God, in in all the ways that we fail at that, Lord, we need your strength. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your grace. And Lord, we do need forgiveness for the times that we failed for the times that we have chosen the unwise thing, for the times that we have chosen to ignore your advice and just do whatever we wanted to anyways. God, restore us into relationship with you. Know that we have lost nothing when we are in Christ, but that you are calling us to even better things, to live for your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.